EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. I'm Olya Jordanian, an outreach coordinator at BU Center for the Study of Europe. Today is April 20, and I talk to Jose Ignacio Torreblanca, a professor of politics at the University of Distance Education in Madrid and the head of Madrid Office of the European Council on Foreign Relations. Okay, I'm Jose Ignacio Torreblanca. I'm professor of politics at the Distance Learning University in Madrid, the country where I was born and where I have my residence at the moment. And I am also heading the office, the Madrid office of the European Council on Foreign Relations. And I'm currently in, in Boston for a series of talks on, on the European crisis and how has this affected countries in Southern Europe. What's the future that is currently emerging in the European Union given all the social, political and economic transformations the European Union is currently undergoing? Well, I think we are in a moment or in a period of fragmentation and divergence, also probably polarization uh, with emerging uh, parties and group which are contesting the dominant consensus so far on European integration. So uh, politics has been, uh, been polarized around pro and anti-Europe uh, uh, forces with the rise of uh, far-right but, uh, and, and xenophobic parties in, in many countries. So uh, we've seen also the emergence of tensions which we thought were more, more or less uh, something of the past like central periphery, northern, southern, even Catholic and Protestant or Western Eastern. So it is a moment in which we are sort of picking up the pieces, you know, with the crisis. The economic crisis has transformed or muted into a political, mutated into a political and social crisis and integration crisis. So the second phase of the economic crisis is now very political and politics and societies are at the center of, of, of the debate and contestation. Can you please break that down for, for me? What do you mean by saying this social and political crisis? I'd say that we've, uh, we've seen throughout uh, this crisis that the social fabric, especially because of the effects of long-term unemployment in Southern European societies, but also feelings about job insecurity associated in some cases with fears for immigration or uh, tensions around Europe, feeding into uh, feelings of personal insecurity, people thinking that uh, their children are not going to do as well as they did, or uh, expectations about shrinking welfare states and the lack of capacity of the state to provide uh, the basic elements of the social contract that has been in place, which is mostly about universal public services of good quality from you know, pensions to health to education. So the, apart from politics, the preoccupations of people about standards of living, future quality of life, social and public services, these are dominating the conversation probably at the, at the, at the citizen level but they don't quite find 
an articulation at the political level, which is where the discussion is a lot more on pro or anti-Europe or pro or anti-globalization, right? So, so this is what I mean by, by saying people are worried about inequality, people are worried about the standards of living, but this is a different discussion which is not represented and therefore in politics and therefore the rise of, of new parties. And this, creates, uh, this is, and this creates a political crisis in the sense that parties, traditional parties are not representing or are not capable to connect uh, connecting with uh, voters anymore. Voters are changing their vote, trying to find alternatives. So you see a lot of volatility and the erosion of traditional party affiliations. For example, in Spain, the two main parties who've been around for more or less always, they used to have more than 80% of the vote combined. But after the crisis, the two main parties, sort of the Christian Democrats, the Social Democrats, the traditional parties of the left and right, combined they have 47% of, of the vote. So it's, it's, a, it's a transformation of politics uh, with the emergence of new parties, new actors, new topics, and, and, and voters not quite aligning themselves anymore on a right-left divide, but along issues which are completely different. Much like, in a sense, is happening also in the US, uh, that traditional left-right um, politics do not quite explain uh, what's going on because some themes are, uh, are, are moving across and, and, and are parts of the conversation at both extremes of the political spectrum. So what, what kind of parties are taking the place of this uh, traditional parties? What kind of movements are arising out of this, let's say, out of this vacuum? Yeah, so traditional parties, center-right, center-left, that is social democrats, Christian democrats, they've had a problem in that by applying the same economic programs, also very heavily constrained by EU governance rules, which are about budget deficits, austerities. They could not distinguish one from each other, so they ended up applying very similar policies. Um, so voters would not find alternative to uh, these platforms. Therefore, voters have been shopping for new alternatives and proposals. And these have varied depending the countries, depending um, their political cultures and recent uh, history. So, for example, in countries like in Italy, where you already had um, a destruction of traditional party system. We've seen the emergence of this very funny and strange party, Beppo Grillo, Cinque Stelle, the five-star movement led by a comedian who, you know, it's, it's, it's not left-right, but it's anti-politicians. Uh, the diagnosis for them is that there is nothing probably wrong with Italy, but the political class. And therefore, some voters are voting for parties which promise or that they will get rid of traditional politicians and this is the fix which the system needs. In other places, voters are going more to the, to the left and they're saying, well, the, problems, the problem is the markets and the banks, the financial sector, the powerful, the oligarchs. So therefore, let's go left and punish and bring into uh, you know, uh, order or control or less discipline 
the markets. Let's let's have a heavier, a more powerful state. Let's rearm the citizens and the state with the capacity to bring markets under control. So they may go left, like in Greece with Syriza, um, and in Portugal recently. Also, some parties in Spain are going that way. Some others are going against um, uh, immigrants or Europe, like in France or in the UK. Um, they would identify the culprits of the crisis as either the European Union because it opened up or immigrants because, because the EU opened up, they enter countries and they take your jobs and they, change, uh, they challenge your identity and they fundamentally and they are fundamentally incompatible with with you so in some countries voters are going for this sort of protest and they're trying to think that this is the fix that you need close down you know re-erect borders get rid of the euro and go back to the nation state and the national borders in some other cases like i would say scotland or catalonia for example in in spain voters are going against the state uh, the central state or the dominant identity and they say well the problem is that we are not autonomous we're not independent let's get rid of state structures which are inefficient and anyway do not represent us and let's try it our, our own way let's do it our way so as you see you know you have like four different types of uh, answers to basically the same problem depending on tradition so this is why what, what it makes very difficult to to deal with it, to understand with it, and even to come with a you, with a, with with one uh, answer, because in each country problems are even if the problems are same are the same or very similar, answers are completely different. So so, but in all of them at the end, what you have is the shrinking of the middle, and the growth of uh, the extremes, and more uh, polarization in, in in political discussions. What about the rise in nationalism, nationalistic parties across the European Union? Well, we see, for example, as very clearly in, in Central and Eastern Europe, but also in, in countries which we thought were more or less safe for nationalism. Northern European countries, uh, which we, in which we, there's never been issues related with immigration or national identities think of Denmark and, and Sweden and Finland. These are largely homogeneous countries in, on, on ethnic grounds in which you would not easily expect parties running on national identity platforms like true Finns. You know, what is a true Finn? You know, they're all <laughs> Finns and there's no diversity. You know, there is not an, uh, an immigration population in this country. So. But also in, in Central and Eastern Europe, I think this is where it's taking more worrisome uh, turns because something which we thought had worked better, which was Europeanization, we thought that national political cultures, civil societies, after being exposed since 1989 to Europe, they would have maybe changed more in terms of attitudes towards a nation, attitudes toward immigration. But the, what we're seeing because of the refugee crisis is that these feelings have not necessarily disappeared. They maybe have been sent to sleep or they were dormant and they have very easily reappeared. And 
we 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 were not expecting like in countries like Poland, for example, you know, that is a very successful country in economic terms, the reemergence of political forces that are so clearly associated with the past, with uh, authority, religion, you know, all these classical values of the traditional right, you know, to make it to government. We thought that this would would have been changes and the process of membership to the European Union would have changed the political cultures. But we see that with Orban again in, in Hungary, you have a EU member state defending that, you know, representative liberal democracy is not the only form of democracy or the only way of organizing politics and power. So um, it's very puzzling, you know, to see how societies are, are fragmenting and also in the cracks which the crisis has left, these things emerging that we thought were deeper down than, than they actually are. Even in the UK, a country that is, you know, the cradle of representative democracy, you have very weird uh, processes and, and discourses about the world and Europe, uh, immigrants, uh, all this. So where do you think the European Union, European integration is, is heading to? You, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but... Uh... Yeah, we are in a... I think we are in a very delicate moment and in, in a transition because it has become evident that um, the model of what we've been doing so far is is exhausted in the sense that this way of muddling through and then with every crisis you would find uh, another way of solving this by enlarging integration and by finding packages or by putting things together, moving on. Uh, this has not worked quite well and it's not working quite well this time. So we are more or less trapped in into in in, a, in in nowhere's land or in no man's land because the past is not available anymore. You cannot credibly think that you can go back to nation states and undo the single market and all these things. Even if some people want to fantasize about this and, and, and tell voters that this is possible, we know that this is not possible anymore. But what we want to or what we need we should do um, to complete monetary union, to, to to give it fiscal instruments, to have economic government, to legitimize that politically by having true representation and true supranational democracy, that's far away. It's very far away. And, and actually, over the last years, when we've polled people or questioned people in referendums, they say they don't like it. I mean, they, it's not going to happen by consent uh, it, it, it would have to be imposing people on people and then if it worked they would accept it but you know you don't want to do these things because it's not democratic so this technocratic way of fixing problems by saying you know trust me I know how to do it but you better stay aside doesn't work anymore politicians are fearful they, they're not showing enough leadership they are scared voters and therefore this big leap forward that we would need in order to fix the euro, in order to fix our political system, in order, for example, to solve this refugee crisis in a way which was compatible with our values, our principles, and even our interests. It's such a huge leap forward in terms of sovereignty, authority, that uh, governments are very scared of it. And, 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 and voters, and I think citizens, they perceive this. And therefore, you know, they are very uncertain as whether this experiment will survive in its present form or would just more or less freeze or adopt a minimalist form um, in order to, to be saved. 
So we are in a very, I think, defining moment because of all these multiple tensions from inside and the outside. There's a ring of fire surrounding the European Union with crisis in the neighborhood that you know we did not expect. In the past, we thought that we had time, that time was in our favor, that everybody wanted to be like us, and that um, you know we were rule setters and norm setters. Now, uh, you cannot take this for granted, and, 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 and countries around Europe are in a difficult situation, and are challenging you, challenging you are, are demanding, and we don't quite give uh, 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 an answer to, to this. So we are not even in borrowed time. We are in discount <laughs> time for, for many of these things. And I think Syria shows very well what this uh, revenge of the geography, in a sense. You cannot get rid of geography. You know, your, your neighbors are your neighbors and are always there. And even if you don't like it, uh, this is a reality and you have to face it. Either you accept it or you try to change it, but you cannot just ignore it, which is what the union has been doing with its neighborhood. It has been ignoring it. Uh, but the neighborhood is not ignoring Europe. <laughs> so, so this is why we are at, uh, at such a difficult moment. What do you think going to be kind of crucial or decisive in, 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 terms of, in, in terms of determining the future at this very, very, very crucial moment? Well, I think there are some events like the Brexit and referendum which could trigger things in a, in, or, or accelerate things. Probably um, if there is a no vote in Britain, that would be so devastating for the European project that uh, those who remained would have to move quickly, quickly, move fast to, to try to do something to not, you know, to dispel the view that this is a failing project, that people are just living and that it has no future. So you could not stay idle after a Brexit vote. Uh, so, so this could be something important. Um, also, I think uh, the, the refugee crisis is something which shows you that this way of integrating the markets and largely ignoring politics and sovereignty and foreign policy is something which is untenable. Uh, therefore, um, I don't think you can just muddle through this and get one million uh, you know, refugees a year without this having a huge impact on domestic politics and then giving a rise to parties which would want to stop European integration and re-erect borders. And so one way or another, you're going to be facing all these pressures and, and probably this is, this is an event. And then, you know, we are also on borrowed time on economic terms because oil prices are very low and money is very cheap. But, uh, you know, if history shows something is that oil, oil and money <laughs> are never cheap uh, generally and they very seldom coincide. So with the with all the massive debt that we have accumulated throughout the euro crisis, with um, uh, it's it's difficult to and, and with very low growth and high unemployment, the moment any of these parameters changes, it would again start putting pressure. So uh, it is, you know, such a high levels of debt with such a high levels of employment and low growth are just untenable. You cannot go on for this like this for another ten years because again, you know, the pressure would go to the political systems, and people would be elected. The French election, the general election, 
is going to be crucial because Marine Le Pen and the Front National, maybe they, they make it first in the first round. And this would be a very severe warning because then all the other parties, they would have to to feel a candidate or to agree on voting the second in order to, to prevent that. Let's see, you know, this, this is probably an event which could also cause uh, um, um, a lot of problems and, and force people to understand that they cannot just muddle through. My next question is about uh, participation of citizens in decision making at EU level. How do you find it? Do you find it satisfactory? Is it is it at a necessary level, or you would love to see that at the Middle East, or or it really doesn't matter? Yeah, well, this is we've been trying to fix this for the last decade, and it hasn't quite worked because we've adopted we've been like cherry picking solutions from here and there, like trying to have this Spitzen candidate process, candidate and process for the European Parliament. So in the European elections, you would try to choose among different candidates. So people would, would put a face to the next president of the commission. So we will try to make it more similar like the, U, like the United States in, in making it a bit more presidential and a more, and more direct to people. But, but this is like, you know, uh, it, 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 is, it is cheating yourself because the EU is not a state, it's not a political system as comparable to the, to, to the American one, to American one. And um, the president of the commission is not the president of the government. He is subordinated to the member states, to the council, to the heads of states, which are the ones that have the legitimacy. And, and as you see, when push comes to shove in the euro crisis, refugee crisis, is the heads of governments that are in charge for that probably, you know, and then they take wrong decisions and so on, but they don't trust the president of the commission who in theory has been elected by citizens because through the parliamentary elections, they, they kick him out of the room and they take decisions on their own because for hard things in which elections are won or lost, uh, it's them that want to be in charge. So, so I don't see um, it's it's okay and it's better to have these sort of procedures. But again, we are halfway, and I think the authority of uh, Jean Claude Juncker as president of the Commission has been weakened uh, since he took office, despite having been the first one, having elected more or less uh, democratically, surely more than than the others. And my last question: If you would have a chance to draw your your, the ideal Europe. Your, what's what's your vision of Europe? What what's well? I think we should. I I like to I like to see an an Europe in which people could actually choose from different alternatives. That um, economic policy was not predetermined by uh, whether you know you are a creditor or you are a debtor, whether you sit here or you sit there, whether you are economically successful or not. This is probably something which has been a disaster and has done a lot of damage that if we are to have one central bank, one court of justice, you know, one currency, then it cannot be a sort of the survival of the fittest and, and, and those who do well dictating norms on, who are, on, on those who are not doing that well. Uh, and then probably you should also have the responsibility of, of everyone around to be able to craft a system in which citizens would have a chance to say, 
democracy is about punishing or rewarding politicians for doing good or you know or bad and this is what we currently lack you know we know that economic policy is very complicated and that decisions are not easy to be taken but it's good that politicians are elected on platform take responsibility for what they do and if they fail you change and you bring another ones with a different alternative and and this way of experimenting between states and markets and left right this is something which happens and has happened and which has made Europe great you know no one is in the full possession of truth when it comes to these very complicated things so you need more political contestation alternatives and something which which really resembles uh, an economic uh, government uh, accountable and responsive to to people. I think we cannot go on in a situation like the current one in which the ECB is is doing things under which are probably good, but without the legitimacy and without a government in front and without citizens being able to. And and at the end, you know, you cannot just rule against the will of the people because people will vote you out and will bring others out. And those others don't look very good in many places. So, so you know, it's, it's probably for some people contradictory to hear that we need more politics in order to solve a political crisis rather than less uh, politics. But I think this is basically true, that we need more politics at the EU level um, and, 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 and let that political space organize around contestation in good terms or in, in, in right terms rather than just in polarizing xenophobic or far-right or anti-EU terms. Thank you so much. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you would like to mm. speak about? I think we covered everything, right? podcast a project of the center for the study of europe at boston university funded by a getting to know europe grant from the european commission delegation in washington dc